Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Klutz. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what is happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, Daniel had Simon Kim in the studio. Yeah, Simon Kim is a very prominent New York restaurateur, and we talked about how all of these crazy tricks he learned in Las Vegas dealing with high rollers, he is now applying to his New York City restaurant, amazingly successful New York City restaurant code. Awesome. Love that. Awesome. After that, we are going to talk about the biggest food stories of the week including an advent calendar with special beer at Costco. That's a spoiler. Oh, crap. We talk about a four-year-old running all over a restaurant and getting in some trouble. Getting underfoot at a restaurant. And some more funny business with the whole Yelp world, which what would an episode of The Digest be without some Yelp action? If you like the show, please tell one friend about it. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Yeah. It's like word of mouth. Exactly. Like (laughs) word of mouth. (laughs) And one last thing before we get started, we have a survey for you. Look at us, so generous. It takes just five minutes and it really helps the show. Head to voxmedia.com slash podsurvey or find the link in our show notes down below. Simon Kim is the owner and operator of Coat Steakhouse in Manhattan's Flatiron District. It is one of the most successful restaurants in the city. What I find fascinating about Simon is it seems like all of the crazy experiences he's had in his life led him up to opening this restaurant, but they were not easy to go through, and we are just going to get right into it. Simon was born in Seoul, Korea, and his older siblings were both artists, and they didn't exactly fit into the Korean education system, so his parents sent them off to New York. I was left behind in Seoul, getting, like, very little attention, so I got in a bunch of troubles, you know, lots of fights, bad scores and tests. It's a big deal in Korea. And then um, eventually my parents were like, you know what? (laughs) Fuck this. We got to take all of them. So Simon ended up in a super waspy part of Long Island called Manhasset, but he brought the rough housing of his past with him. So I remember I was, um, I think I was in seventh grade. This is like two weeks into school started and I spoke no English and it was earth science class. (laughs) Yeah. And there was this kid who basically wanted to bully me. You know, he's, I saw him looking at me, you know, he's like, let's pick on this kid. You know, he clearly doesn't speak English or whatnot. I was one of the only Asian guys, so I was wearing a hat and he, he knocked my hat, hat off. You know, in Korea, I was getting into a lot of trouble, you know. <laughs> so without hesitation, I punched him in the face. And he obviously, like, totally didn't expect what was coming. And then from then on, message was very clear. <laughs> yeah. No one ever messed with me from then on. Right. One of the most influential things for Simon was being so close to Manhattan and to Brooklyn. And that is where he discovered one of his first loves. Manhattan is located a couple miles away from um, Peter Luger. (laughs) Yeah. So I fell in love with that place and I would save up my allowances and just bring my money to Peter Luger. (laughs) Aside from fancy steak, Simon didn't click with a whole lot. He wasn't a great student. He didn't play sports, but he was really great at one thing. And that was bar fights. 
Literally, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would get into bar fights all the time. I was a knucklehead. There was actually one guy in particular who Simon would run into all the time. He was kind of like the Simon or the big fighter of his group in New Jersey. I remember one night, it was my, one of my friend's birthday. Got really drunk, and of course, testosterone was flowing. <laughs> and I went outside to smoke a cigarette, and then I see the guy, you know. And I actually don't remember how it actually started. But I do remember ending up in an uh, emergency room. Right? Jeez. So now, like, imagine, right? So you have no academic real future in front of you. You don't have, like, athletic future in front of you. You're not even good at bar fighting. Afterwards, Simon packed up his bags and moved to Las Vegas. He didn't know what to do with himself in New York. Growing up, I always thought that hotel was very alluring. Mm-hmm. You know, luxury hotel. Um, hotelier life. So I literally took a one-way flight to Vegas. His first job in Vegas was working at the front desk at the MGM Grand, and it was not a glamorous job. You know, checking people in, people coming to me and saying, excuse me, I found this pubic hair on the bed. You know, that's what I was dealing with. I was like, (laughs) I'm really sorry. You know, allow me to change the room for you. But one thing he did learn was how to smile to every guest and how to take every complaint and try to turn it around. One day, the vice president of fine dining approached me and he's like, hey, Simon, do you want to run a Japanese restaurant? So I was like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The restaurant was called Shibuya. And to Simon, this place was heaven. They served Wagyu and uni back in 2007 when people weren't really eating these things. And Simon was floored. When I started at the restaurant, it, it genuinely felt like I was a fish and I met this ocean. Mm. You know, I felt so comfortable in it. You know, it was just such a euphorically joyous place, right? There's nothing not joyous about restaurant. And when that kind of happiness struck, I feel like it really resonated really hard. And all the years of kind of... Um, you know, lost, uncertainty, and all those things just cleared the way for restaurant. Wow. Simon quickly realized that there was a huge divide in the restaurant's clientele. On one hand, you had the Vegas partiers, the people there for just the weekend, and they were drinking a Sapporo and having a California roll. And on the other end, there were these, what they call in the business, whales, high rollers, big spenders, big casino VIPs. Like Asian gamblers, you know, they would come in and they would just go bonkers, right? I'm talking about like four dudes looking pretty um, silly comes in and then just drop $7,000 on a dinner. Yeah. And they were able to do that because, you know, it was comp money. You know, they'll come in, blow a couple hundred thousand dollars um, in gambling, whether they win or lose, they end up with a certain amount of comp, right? So what comp is, is the money the casinos give to their high rollers to just let them spend freely in and around the hotel. It's how people end up with the giant penthouse suites and the massages and the free meals and then the tables at nightclubs. I basically knew how to take care of the whales, you know, in a way that they wanted to be treated. You know, whether that is, you know, starting them with some hot tea, you know, and, and most importantly, they just needed to be really taken care of. Growing up in Seoul, Simon understood the customs of these high rollers. He watched gangster movies. He was familiar with the Japanese culture. He knew that people from different places 
appreciated different kinds of service. And he was really, really good at making these multi-million dollar customers feel important and feel personally respected. Especially with the whales. You can't push what you want to push, right? Because they know what they want. And so you really need to kind of absorb and study their behaviors and whatnot. And learning their habits was pretty fun. Basically, a good life on steroid. <laughs> yeah. So you're doing well? I was doing very well to a point where I was making meaningful impact in, in revenue. Simon was independently responsible for the majority of the restaurant's business. Say on an average slower night, the restaurant may bring in $15,000. Simon could make one phone call, bring in a table of whales, and double the restaurant's revenue. I was having so much fun. I was have, building my influence, but I was not getting a lot of guidance, like what is allowed and what is not allowed. It was more like, hey, Simon, just go do your thing, you know, go, yeah. bring, go bring more revenue sort of a thing. Let and you then, off the leash. Yeah, and I was, uh, I was loose, and I was happy. I was getting shit done. At this time, his salary wasn't great, but the tips were. He was getting palmed thousands of dollars a night. That's it, you know, exchange. At the time in Vegas, tips weren't pooled, meaning the servers in a restaurant got to keep whatever tips they were given. So serving a table filled with whales with checks in the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars could mean a huge payday for any given server. And I was the one who basically picked which server is going to serve them. And I only picked the best one. You know, a person who can really understand mm -hmm. and who can provide the service and who's good at what they do. And then so they would take the $3,000 tip and then they would actually, you know, give me a couple hundred dollars or a few hundred dollar bills. I was like, oh, this is great, right? Customers happy, <laughs> service happy, and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. You know, I had no idea that um, that was illegal. It ended up costing Simon his job, and this is right when the mortgage bubble burst. Finally, he was starting to fit in, he was finally feeling like he'd landed on his feet, and it all went to shit. So he decided to go back home to Long Island. And I gave my house keys to my then roommate. I was like, good luck with the house. You know, I'll figure it out, and I'll call you later. <laughs> and then literally just took off in my red Mini Cooper and drove from Las Vegas to New York. Back in New York, Simon hopped around working for different restaurants and got a taste of the city's brutal fine dining scene. I would get my ass handed, right? I'm talking about I'll go home and like cry all night because I was destroyed by customers, I was destroyed by my servers, I was destroyed by my upper management. And it was really kind of like it really broke me down in a most like profound way. And I'll be there next next morning, you know, opening the restaurant with a smile and <laughs> You know, and that level of like feeling of destruction and defeat and getting up and trying to redo this again. And you do that again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And I think that resiliency was the biggest walk away that I learned. Don't you think it's a little bit like the help desk at the hotel where no one ever says nice things? They just come and destroy you and you have to have a put a put a smile on again for the next person. Yeah, almost precisely. And I, I also was the you know, considered as a weakest link. You know, I was the youngest and... Like not white. Not white, yeah. I was, um, you know, when I tried to sell wine, they were like, dude, who, who are you, you know? Eventually, Simon ended up at Matsugen, a restaurant in Tribeca by John George that was right across the street from where his mom had opened her own restaurant. So I remember as a um, like 16-year-old kid from Long Island, my mother pointed out this like corner and said, oh, that's... um." You know, that's Michelin three-star chef Jean Georges opening a restaurant, you know, and they, I would go there and like take a peek, you know. After some time working for John George, Simon was finally ready to open his own place. Great thing about working for the best is you learn so much how, how the best operates. But kind of challenging thing is you are very discouraged, right? Like mm. these legends, 
have all these amazing things. They're so good at what they do. There's amazing backing, like all these things. But how can I, this immigrant from Seoul, like open a restaurant and be successful? You know, there's that sense of that. And I thought really long and hard about it. And I came to conclusion that um, what I can offer is genuinely like I can be there and I can have my executive chef be there and plate every single dish and drop every dish and meet the guests and be able to really connect in a, in a very profound manner. And that's basically was the concept. In 2013, he opened Piora in Greenwich Village. You know, we've opened this restaurant, Piora, which in Korean pronounced Piora, mm-hmm. which translates to to blossom. I think the story worked, right? We got our Michelin star in like 15 months of opening, you know, and I think that was a, such a dream come true and validation. But um, I realized as great as Michelin star is, it doesn't pay for rent. Piora never really hit its stride financially, and in 2016, it fell on hard times. Guests were really happy. Guests were satisfied. The restaurant was pretty busy, but um, you know, our cost was not aligned. We could, we just couldn't really fix it. And I tried really hard to fix it, but um, unless there was a very drastic change that would have completely changed the integrity of the restaurant, I wouldn't be able to make the make mm-hmm. that adjustment. So all things considered, we thought that um, it's better to preserve the beautiful blossoming into a place that is uh, that only can be remembered. Yeah. So I had to pull the plug on Piora, and that was probably the saddest thing I've done in my entire life. If I had to compare, it was basically kind of like euthanizing uh, your own pet. So mm-hmm. that was a tra- traumatizing experience. And then what happened next? Goat happened. Just before shuttering Piora, Simon opened Coat a high-end Korean steakhouse. Goat in Korean translates to flower. So you understand now there's a piora that blossomed and that led into uh, a goat, which is flower. And this is something that I really wanted to do for a very, very long time. You know, I told you how much I love growing up in Long Island, going to Peter Luger, having that kind of a primal yet exciting uh, steak experience. Growing up in Seoul, before I moved, I also very much enjoyed um, Korean barbecue angle. And basically, when when the vision was to take the best of both worlds and then actually create a super restaurant concept where you can actually extract the best of both worlds. But raising capital proved really tough. When I pitched to investors, I'm going to open up an upscale Korean barbecue restaurant concept. They were like, what are you talking about? That just doesn't make any sense. You know, people go to Korean barbecue because it's casual and it's rowdy and you know and if you extract that then it wouldn't work and there was actually a restaurant in new york city back then that basically attempted that exactly that and it actually didn't work out yeah they were like you know what simon not gonna happen but it did happen and it turns out that an upscale korean steakhouse was exactly what new york wanted it was a giant success it was a giant giant success and i'm so 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 grateful for it and four months into opening, we got our Michelin star. You know, I, I still feel like I'm living the, living in a dream. Mm-hmm. Coat is where it finally all came together for Simon, from his favorite steaks at Peter Luger to the decadence of Las Vegas. I really do think Coat is very, very much like me. You know, I, I like high quality things, <laughs> but I like to have um, a shit ton of fun. And who I am in Las Vegas has a very strong 
made a strong impact in who I am as a person. And of course, that kind of speaks out at Coat as well. Because Coat is a little larger than life kind of thing. You know, that's what I see Vegas as. But at the same token, you know, it's about the sense of excellence and high quality things and hospitality. So the mix of party, sense of excellence of ingredients and hospitality and mm-hmm. all, all things around, I feel like that's... Um, It's got some Vegas flavors. So much of Simon's career has been spent making the whales of the world happy. But at Coat, the high roller experience is a little bit more accessible than diners might expect. You know, how can we as an operator um, provide the best ingredient possible and, 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 and curate that in a really fun way, but also really work hard in reducing the cost? So ultimately, customers can actually feel like I beat the system, right? I came here to Michelin Star Steakhouse and then um, spent far less than I wanted to spend. And I think it's a great thing. But don't get me wrong, though. Uh, we have um, you know, wine programs to you know, really luxurious items like caviar. We have uh, steak and egg, which is uh, basically steak tartare topped with Ossetra caviar. So we have a lot of um, very high-priced ticket mm-hmm. items. So if you want to come in and enjoy a very modest yet excellent meal at Coat, you can do that. But if you want to come and like go all out and be a whale, you can do that too. I feel like you have the place set up that it's almost like roulette, right? You have on an, on an average night, maybe you're just scraping by, but then you have all these programs in place. You know, you have an amazing wine program that's just meant to get those huge, huge hits. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the casino, huh? And now we'll be right back with the biggest stories of the week. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your team, Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. It's time for the biggest food stories of the week. Every week on the show, we talk about food stories and we separate them with the sound of a ding, just like this. Amanda, this is a dumb single thing, but it just made me laugh. And I want to tell you about it. Costco, you know the advent calendar, do you not? Yes. The advent calendar. I saw this story, yes. Okay. So the advent calendar, obviously you get one piece of chocolate every per day, day yeah. leading up to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Costco is selling an advent calendar, but behind every door is a can of beer. It's the dumbest. That's so dumb. <laughs> like, why? What? How what? big is it? Where big. Do you, where do you put it? Well, I was saying this out la- outside, and, uh, and, and I was talking to someone, and she was like, can you buy oh, me one? Oh, you know what? I changed my mind. What? I'm reading this. Every day, it's a unique German beer that is unavailable in retail stores. At so Costco. You can't get at Costco. It. Yeah. You can't get this stuff. So it's a, like if you are a beer lover. That's what changes your mind on this? Yes. I thought it was Who just some dumb. Ca- I think it's cute. Because if you love German beer, the beers come from privately owned breweries all over Germany. It's not as dumb as it could have been. You know what? That reminds me of uh, I used to collect hockey cards and they would you'd get like mystery pack filled with like seven packs of cards that are unavailable. And, you, you and they'd they're be, all gonna be bad. trash, just straight trash. Yeah. Maybe have a little faith. Maybe it's not going to be trash. Maybe it's going to be great independently owned 
German beer. Right. But so what excites you about this is the independently owned German beer. So that leads me to believe that you would just be just as excited about if I brought you a case of 24 beers and I was like, hey, I got a case of 24 beers for you. And they're all from independent German breweries. Maybe. (laughs) If I liked German beer a lot, yeah, I'd be like, that's so nice. That's so thoughtful Mm -hmm. that you found a way to source all these different beers. Is this a new startup? I have no interest in trying a one-off thing that I can't acquire more of. Well, go to Germany and then you can go to the brewery and try it there. Sometimes it's nice to not be a cynic and that's the role I'm playing today. Actually, you're not being a cynic because you're excited about the authenticity or the rareness of the beers. I was saying, cute idea in general. I don't care if they're Miller Lite. I think it's funny. Oh, you love it. You love it too. We both love it. We both love it. (laughs) I'm not interested. I know what I'm getting, Daniel, for Hanukkah. (laughs) No, I mean, I'll just tell you, like, sometimes I get home and it's like 11 and it's like time to take your gummy vitamins and I'm not excited about that. I can't imagine how I would feel about some random beer waiting for me behind a door. So I'm. I don't. Are I you saying you would be excited? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. What is I'm this saying your gummies. In what are in, your gu- health gummies? <laughs> in practice, I wouldn't be excited about having a Monday night beer. <gasps> Should I get you an advent calendar where behind each door it's some vitamin, sort of like health? A, yes, I would. Brain love, pill. Oh man. Like weird that. from a weird independent Absolutely. brain pill maker. Yeah, some insects. Get me some Indian pharmacies, please. Yes. Yeah, varying levels of legality. I'm down. Cool. Okay, Amanda, there was a story in Slate's care and feeding column. A man wrote into this column saying that he and his wife took their four-year-old son out to a medium nice restaurant. Medium, Not fast food. Medium nice. Medium Not nice. Super fancy yeah. either. I got it. Um, he said his son is a normal, active, little boy. Normal active boy. Okay. And it's uh-huh. hard for him to sit through dinner. Uh-huh. So, you know, he was feeling he was he was antsy and they let him explore the restaurant huh. a little bit. And he said that he explored the restaurant. He was getting hairy eyeballs from the server. Hairy eyeballs? Yeah. I've never heard that before. Giving him the hairy eyeball. Is that a thing? Okay. Our producer, right. Martha, said that she knows of hairy eyeballs, so I believe we can locate this story to somewhere in the South, maybe Texas. <laughs> well, no, maybe we just don't, you know, we're not cultured. It's somewhere where we're not from. It's just not a Massachusetts or Toronto thing. It means, according to the internet, to look askance at someone. A look of disdain or skepticism. See, I got, I mean, I got it. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously. Yeah, just, we got it. Yeah. Okay. So our Continue. Massachusetts or Toronto yeah. uh, upbringing mm-hmm. taught us how to understand context, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so they asked him to stop running and he was good, but then he got up he and was running. So he wasn't just exploring. Yeah. And then <laughs> actually the language and this is really funny. He was pretty good after that, but when he, but he did get underfoot when she was carrying a tray. Ooh. Yeah. Again, I don't really, I know like he, he tripped her up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like he was underfoot. Yeah. yeah. Strange. I know that one. What is this guy a professor or something? <laughs> He's yeah, Strange. unnecessarily formal. Yeah, and uh, so then the server gave him some, a little bit of lip service. Does he say lip service too? Nope. No, oh. sorry. Now I'm just not. Gonna. She spoke to him pretty sharply. <laughs> to the kid? Um, yeah. Or to the to the kid? Parents, so. To the kid. She's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, she goes, cease running underfoot immediately. <laughs> you are underfoot. You are underfoot. And uh, the guy said it was completely uncalled for. 
and she should have spoken to them instead of disciplining their child. He left a 5% tip. Whoa. Yeah. Uh-oh. And spoke to the manager who he said gave non-committal replies. Oh, 5%. <laughs> My wife agrees with me. But when we post about it on Facebook, we got a lot of judgy responses. No kidding. Sincerely. Therefore, I'm going to. It's hard for a four-year-old to sit still. <laughs> wow. So the the writer. Imagine posting something that unpopular to Facebook and then deciding to keep the ball rolling. And this is bring really it like. Slate. It's really like going to the Supreme Court of public complaints. Yeah. Like people already don't like this in my small Facebook network. Yeah. I'm going to expose this to the entire internet. Next time I hear anyone say underfoot or hairy eyeball in the same sentence, you're I'm like, going to be like, slate you're the friggin' four-year-old guy. Yeah. Slate guy. But then he also reads Slate. It's like, what a complex person. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, it's not about him. Obviously, this is extremely annoying. Yeah. Is it out of line at all for the server to be like, go back to your seat or like, you don't run away when I people mean, are working. It, it somewhat depends on what she said. Right. She could have said something truly awful. And then it's <laughs> like, well, maybe yeah. don't. Obviously, this kid shouldn't be running around, but maybe don't. Right. Use like the your C- parents C- haven't word told you, but you're four-year-old. cross-eyed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she could have said something like, well, right. mean. But if she just said, go back to your seat, you're in my way, that's well within her rights. You shouldn't set your four-year-old loose on a restaurant. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And then to give 5% tip is such a strange thing and yeah. talk to the manager. People get crazy about their kids. I don't know if People you know People get that. crazy about their kids. Yeah. If it was a super casual place where like- Not medium nice? Not medium. Medium nice. Yeah. No way. You don't let them loose. Uh, like what, if your kid can't sit still, don't bring them to a restaurant or give them an iPad. No. Yes. I feel like giving the kids, can we talk about that? Yeah. Going to restaurants and seeing like a family of six and all four kids are on an iPad. It's depressing. Scary. But I would rather that than four kids screaming or running or getting underfoot. (laughs) You know? (laughs) To me, giving kids iPads like just tonally feels like, okay, we're going to sit through this dinner. Everyone take your Valium. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's what they got to do. Daddy iPad, daddy iPad. It's like, what the fuck is this world? It's so tragic. Is it tragic? Soon it's going to be VR glasses. Put your glasses on, kids. Maybe. It's tragic to see a bunch of people in a place that is like a going out experience. Yeah. When they're doing the same thing that they would be doing in their room on a, or on a couch or something. Well, I would think of it this way. These parents want a night out and aren't getting a babysitter or they're out, maybe they're traveling or something. And this is the only way to keep these kids from screaming or being annoying to people in the restaurant. So it's less annoying Mm -hmm. as the co-diner to have to see some kids watching an iPad than having kids screaming (laughs) over your meal. What makes it truly depressing to me is like, I get it. Yeah. You know, like I'm buying iPads for 30 years from now. Well, yeah. Also, Sometimes you go out and see a group of 20-year-olds and they're all staring at their phones instead of talking to each other. Equally as depressing. And they actually can behave themselves in a restaurant. The worst to me is very expensive sushi restaurants. It's like I'll see like young women or young guys who look like they're under 20, just obviously insanely rich at omakase places where the, where the chef will drop the piece of fish mm-hmm. and be like, this is like a red snapper from uh-huh. the coast of whatever. And they're just like playing freaking angry birds on their phone. <laughs> yeah. And then just like without looking at the fish, just put it in their mouth. I mean, that speaks maybe more to the wealth. But yeah, it's it's really, really sad. You know what 
though it does make me think of what the kids and iPads like imagine everyone you know 20 years from now when everyone has a port on their skin somewhere uh-huh. where you just like plug in an, an injection and you get your feeding to whatever it's like mommy and daddy want to have a nice meal together okay kids everyone sit down they're, they're, they're going to inject you with your like coma tube and I'm then sure all the kids at the bench parents, are just going to be like if they could do the coma tube the, the, then the kids are just sitting there all in induced comas. Yeah. It's not that much different. <laughs> no, it's not. You see kids when they see the iPad, they turn into zombies. It's like, zoom. but I think it's all about what's good for the scenario. And as I keep saying, in a restaurant, I would much rather sit next to a kid with an iPad than a kid who's screaming. Because of I'm going to a restaurant course. and I just want to chill. So being judgmental about like, oh my god, this kid is just a zombie, and like, what does life mean? Like, of I think that's horse. That's very one of the sickest thoughts I've ever had in oh my head. Boy. Being on an airplane next to a screaming baby, I was like, I wish I had a if I had a Ferrari Rocher and a bunch of Valium. Like, it crossed my mind to stick a bunch of Valium or Klonopins in a chocolate and be like, here, kid, have a chocolate. Oh my god. Yeah. You're terrible. Is that terrible? Yes. No. Yes, it's terrible. I was, there was, I saw that there You're was smiling. this. Um, okay. No, the, it made me think of this story about how some airlines are trying to show where the babies and lap infants will be, so you can sit away from them. And our coworker was like, "Can you show me where like the big fat drunk guy is going to mm, be? That's going to yeah. spill his scotch all over my lap because right. I want to sit away from that guy." Can you tell me where the guy who's going to be next to me on his AirPods yelling about fantasy football is going to be? Yeah. Yeah, I would also like to know. Or that. like the guy who wants to put. Klonopin and a chocolate and feed it to my kid. Like, get me away from that sociopath. <laughs> at least that guy's fun. Cool story from the weekend was with my brother at a pop-up restaurant, Saigon Social. Great pop-up restaurant. Interesting story came from there was that the owner, Helen Wynn, mm-hmm. was telling me that she, with the way the pop-ups work, she had one day uh, last weekend that was just awful service. Not awful service, but just like she got slammed. There was a huge wait. She had a bunch, a bunch of people call out. And angry asshole New Yorkers, being what they are, mm-hmm. were leaving a bunch of bad Yelp reviews on the <laughs> bar Jeez. that her pop-up was located in. Oh. So the bar is called Boys Don't Cry. Mm-hmm. And they were getting a bunch of angry Yelp reviews being like, I waited an hour and a half. I didn't For get my food. For the stupid pop-up. For, yeah. And uh, it's supposed to be great, but uh, didn't get shit. So she reached out to Yelp being like, hey, Yelp. Uh, these are on me. These are on my. Can you pop transfer up. these over to my? Well, Yelp page? I, I'm sure she wasn't trying to like get them put on her own. <laughs> but just interesting that this is more of a story about pop ups, like the way uh-huh. it's like who's really responsible, right? Uh, anyway, I was curious. What, what do you think about that? It's it, to me, it's interesting. You know, it's her fault, not really her fault. I mean, pop ups as a essentially are like a testing ground for your restaurant. I don't think you should be held up to the standards of a restaurant. Sure, you're charging money though. So there's some expectation that some there will be some sort of experience that you're getting. So it depends on how much money it is. If it's like you know, super cheap. Right. No big deal. Sure. That's, if it's really expensive, right. like the more you pay, I think the more the higher your expectations are. I think it's a dick move no matter what to leave an angry <laughs> That's Yelp the first review. Lever. Like the first yeah. layer. The second layer is first layer, like these guys are assholes for leave, leaving the review. But I I get it. Like that is a risk that you are dealing with when you are hosting an unknown entity in your space. You know? Like okay. you feel responsible. I was at this pop up last night for Pizzeria Bedia or Bedia, don't know. Um at High Street on Hudson, which mm-hmm. is a lovely restaurant in the West Village, and the pizza was amazing. 
the guy who makes it is this, you know, he's an artist. He's a chef. He's super slow. And he told the owner, Ellen, he's like, I go one speed. That speed is slow. Right. Super slow. Right. And I could tell she was a little stressed out that it was slow. It was fine. Like, I got my pizza. Everybody got pizza. It was totally great. You got to watch him make the pizza. It was a beautiful experience. I could tell that I think she was a little nervous because she was the host. Mm-hmm. So even though it's his pizza and it's his, his deal popping up at her space, she still played a part. And I think that's the way you should be. Like, yeah. you are still responsible for what's going on within your business. More interesting to me is this idea of the, the slow, one-speed person. And she's there. This is a whole event. Right. And she's like, this is slow. He's uh, yeah, you know, he's an artist. <laughs> no, she was happy. <laughs> she loves him. She's, they're both from Philly. She has huge respect for him. So I don't want it to seem like there's tension there. She's yeah. just like, he's slow. <laughs> uh, and... Yeah. You know, she put out a lot of other snacks. Yeah, to make it, sure that people were. It reminds me a of a time. stand-up joke that I've been trying to figure out, which is just like, when I go back to Toronto and I go to like our equivalent of Sweet Green, it drives me nuts because the people in Toronto are so much more human than they mm, are here. So they like, talk to you. Here, if you go to a Sweet Green here, I mean, a l- you may exchange pleasantries with the person mm-hmm. facilitating your salad order, but like especially the Fight Eye Lunch Rush, they just move so fast. Oh yeah, and we're used to such a level of efficiency that I that in the joke I was saying that I was like in a, in a Toronto version of Sweet Green, and the guy's like, "Oh hey, like uh, it's just about the end of my shift, so I." I threw in a couple extra stalks of broccoli for you. You're like, shut up and, and give like, me the thing. And I was thinking in my head, like, this guy would be murdered in the financial <laughs> yeah. district. Would just be, and he's like, oh, it's a nice day outside. You gonna go uh, eat your salad out in the park? And I'm like, <laughs> it's gonna be fucking dark outside. If someone, by, the time, <laughs> by the time you finish this shit, if someone asked me what I was gonna do <laughs> with my day, at like dig in, at dig I would in. be like, why are you? asking me this but it it's, it's a question right because it's like we expect it's like we're used to this being robotic perfection mm-hmm. and we lose a little bit no, of that's this. what makes new yorkers famous assholes everywhere we go yeah because we're impatient so do you think but i've really been thinking about this am i like am i now worse because i go back to toronto or i go back wherever i am that's not new york yes. and i'm in these you know, these these operations, these like fast casual things, or these uh, or even convenience stores where I expect yes. quickness, and they're not, and they're talking and being nice, and I'm like, die. Yeah, yeah, you're a worse person now. <laughs> it would take like if you permanently moved back to Canada, it would take you three months, and then you'd be probably a decent person again. Yeah, it, t- it would take that long for this all to rub off. But it's like, how dare you not do anything right now except. The thing that the yes. transaction that, but what about you? Like same, I'm a total asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like I can only survive here now. Is that I sad? Can't, I can't live anywhere else. <laughs> I'd be terrible. No one would like me. As we get older, though, I think we'll appreciate humanity more and more, or we'll no. just become more set and <laughs> yeah. No. You've met old New Yorkers, right? Right. They're they're worse. They're curmudgeon about other things, though. I don't know. I've never same. It's the same. So you think like, like an evolution. finally when Sweetgreen figures out how to replace their lovely staff with robots, you're going to be like, finally. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't go Sweetgreen. There's a, you know, the dig in, mm. they compliment you and it's very nice, but you can tell that it's like 
worked into the system. What kind of, what do you mean? So dig in for those who, is, a, is another one of these fast casual It's a things. fast casual chain. They have a bunch of them here in New York. And, Choose you know, three elsewhere. veg and a meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. It's pretty good. And for a while, there was this one woman who worked with one here. And I we loved would, her. And we would, I'll talk about it in the yeah. office. But like, oh, what did she compliment you on today? Because she was always complimenting people. Yeah. She's like, your hair looks great today. Yeah. Or like, yeah. I love those earrings. Or I don't know what she said to you. We would always ask, how has she not been broken yet? Mm-hmm. You know, like, how does she still have this energy? So she's gone. But she's, she's gone. I still get compliments at Diggin. Oh, really? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe you think they're just spinning off a part of the training. Oh my god! Of like, hey, throw out, you know, every ten customers, throw out a compliment. (laughs) 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 We should, we should find out. We should ask Dana. (laughs) We should. I mean, I I think it's nice, but it makes me feel nice. But it's not like, what are you doing later? What's going on with your day? Blah blah blah. It's just like. I like your earrings. And yeah. then you move on. You're like, thank you so much. I'm excited for the multi robots because then it'll be like, your shirt looks nice. How was this compliment? I'll be like, <laughs> didn't work for me. Try another one. You're so witty. I'll be like, I fucking love this restaurant. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Eater's Digest. A reminder to send us emails of absolutely anything to digest at eater.com. Literally anything. Please make sure to tell a friend about the show if you enjoyed it. Uh, special thanks to Simon Kim of Coat. Special thanks to our producer, Martha Daniel. And special thanks to everyone at Eater who helps put the show together, including you, Amanda Clute. And you, Daniel Janine. Ah, uh, look at us. Uh, one more reminder, of course, not of course, but one more reminder to check out our survey. Check it out. You don't have to fill it out, but check it out at voxmedia.com slash, definitely fill it out, sorry, voxmedia.com slash pod survey, or you can find it in the show notes below. And then you click the link and you fill it out. Okay, that's too much. Let's get out of here.